Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. Today, we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar's response to the dream that he had of the image composed of different metals. We've talked about that in previous episodes, and uh, I think have laid a good foundation to really understand today's topic. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was basically the king of the world. Okay, he reigned over all the other kingdoms of the then known world. And as such, he was seeking the interests of his world kingdom. And ultimately, like any king would desire, he wanted his kingdom to flourish forever. And probably as he was thinking about these things and planning them, God gave him the dream to show him the future particularly the future of the world-dominating kingdom of Babylon. Not just of Babylon, but the future of world kingdoms, beginning with Babylon. And he showed him the statue composed of different metals, each representing a successive kingdom that would dominate the world. And at the end, all of those kingdoms were to be destroyed and replaced by the kingdom of God. So Nebuchadnezzar understood this and he rebelled against it. He was not a worshiper of God. He decided that he wanted his kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Babylon, to endure forever. And he had a plan for how to do that. And it's very interesting the insight that he uh, demonstrates through his plan. What he did the, the obvious part that's written in the Bible, what he did is he set up a statue similar to the statue in his dream, and he commanded all of the leaders of his kingdom to come and to worship this statue. Now, he had made this statue of gold from head to toe, unlike in his dream where the head was gold, but the successive parts of the statue were of increasingly inferior materials. So this shows that Nebuchadnezzar understood something about how to make a kingdom endure. It shows that he understood that the decreasing value, um, that is to say the weakness of the money, is ultimately what leads to the weakness of the kingdom. And just as the statue in his dream, as shown by God, was illustrating a succession of kingdoms of decreasing value, and that was symbolized by the money, by the gold, the silver, the bronze, etc., Nebuchadnezzar understood that what makes a kingdom valuable is the quality of its money. And therefore, when he built his own statue as an expression of his will for the kingdom of Babylon, he built it 
of gold from head to toe because he wanted the kingdom to last forever. And he knew that to do that, it needed to be based on sound money. And this is really interesting in light of the times today where for the first time ever, we have truly sound money, and that is Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is not gold. Gold actually has faults, has pretty big faults. And we won't go into that here. Many people talk about that, and they do a good job of it. And likewise, many people talk about how superior Bitcoin is, and they do a good job of it. So we won't repeat that here. But what we're talking about, what we want to emphasize in this podcast is how Bitcoin is related to the Bible and how the Bible speaks indirectly or alludes to Bitcoin as the currency that would come on the scene at the time of Christ's return, just like how the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream was smashed on the feet by a stone that was cut out without hands, mined, as it were, without hands, without manual labor, like Bitcoin, and that this would grow into a mountain that would fill the earth. Is Bitcoin growing? Is it spreading around the earth? Is adoption increasing? Are more countries every day being exposed to Bitcoin? I would say so. But there's another aspect that we're going to come to where actually uh, Bitcoin reaches, grows not only to be a mountain on earth, but a mountain in heaven. I've been mentioning an article that I read recently called Thy Kingdom Come. And in that article, it points out that a mountain in biblical symbolism can actually represent a constellation. Um, this goes back to the book of Genesis and the blessing that Israel conferred upon the head of Joseph. And he spoke about the blessings and the abundance of the everlasting hills, the eternal mountains. These are the constellations which represent the nations of the angels, the sort of the bounties of the heavenly realms that were uh, promised to the tribe of Joseph. So when in the dream the stone becomes a mountain, it not only fills the earth, but in a sense it also alludes to reaching up to heaven. And this is the counterpart, if you will, the sort of divine intention that is expressed here in contrast to what we talked about in the previous episode with the children of men building the Tower of Babel. They wanted to reach heaven, but without God. They wanted to reach heaven by their own labors and without being restricted by the law of God. To the contrary, what we see revealed as God's will in the dream to Nebuchadnezzar is that his intention is very much for mankind to reach heaven, but in harmony with his will and according to his ways and with a relationship to him. Now, what I thought was really interesting in the article was the connection that was made to the heavenly pattern and the earthly counterpart that the image that was shown to Nebuchadnezzar was actually 
according to a pattern in heaven. And you can read about that in in the article, Thy Kingdom Come. And what we're finding in this podcast is that Bitcoin is also patterned after the heavenly pattern. And you'll see that more and more clearly uh, uh, as we progress in future episodes. Now, this is notable in the sense that in the time of Moses, when they built the wilderness tabernacle, God took Moses up into a mountain and showed him the pattern, the heavenly pattern. And Moses was instructed to build the earthly sanctuary according to the pattern that he had seen in the mount, the heavenly pattern. Now, interestingly, the wilderness tabernacle was financed by all the people of Israel, all the children of Israel who had just come out of Egypt, and they had spoiled the Egyptians. They had taken all of, uh, they had borrowed jewels, they had um, they had asked of them all kinds of valuable things that they could take with them uh, as they departed from Egypt and went into the wilderness. And because of this, and in so doing, and this was according to God's design to give prosperity to his people as he brought them out of the house of bondage. Now, um, it might seem on the surface that borrowing from their neighbors uh, and then basically fleeing, that that was a form of theft. But actually, in the overall context, when you think of the fact that Israel was a nation of slaves, they were made slaves against their desire in the land of Egypt, um, it kind of puts this in a different perspective. And God was coming as their deliverer. And this was part of his design to uh, give, to restore prosperity to his people and at the same time to uh, punish Egypt for their wrongdoing. And this was sort of vindicated in the way that Egypt's army pursued after Israel, showing that they really were intent on forcing Israel to remain as slaves. And as you know, the Egyptian army was destroyed and Israel was freed. And this is such an important story in the Bible, in Christianity and, and in the Bible, because it ultimately represents uh, God's desire to set mankind free from sin and to change a nation of slaves into a nation of kings. And the, the amazing thing that we see today happening with Bitcoin is exactly that. We have this transition taking place from a world where debt reigns, where mankind is in slavery, to the ones who control the, the, the fiat money supplies today. And what Bitcoin is doing is it's allowing people, it's giving people a way out of that, a road to the promised land, where those who were formerly enslaved by the the worldliness and the injustice of sort of the fiat uh, debt-oriented money system, uh, where they will be able to develop into sovereign individuals, into true 
kings and princes of God with full control over their own time and resources, uh, which is what Bitcoin allows. So it's, yeah, it's highly interesting that uh, the article connects the stone cut out without hands growing into a mountain with the heavenly pattern, the pattern of things in heaven. But the financial connection here goes even deeper. The wealth of the children of Israel that they had gathered from the Egyptians and brought with them into the wilderness, they used that to contribute to the building of the wilderness tabernacle, to the earthly sanctuary that Moses was instructed to build according to the heavenly pattern. And this was very much a financial endeavor. This is what I want to emphasize here, that even in the Old Testament, as it speaks of the building of the earthly tabernacle, it speaks of it in financial terms, that the people brought of their wealth, and not only their wealth, but their time and abilities. They were engaged in making things, in, in, in designing the patterns that were uh, embroidered and, the, and, and making the spinning the threads, etching the metals, casting different metals, and uh, you know, cutting the boards and, and all these things. They were engaged with their time and with their effort and with their money, their resources, their possessions. Everything was put into this building of the sanctuary. And this is very much an economic activity that they're involved in at that time. And isn't that exactly how it is with Bitcoin? Bitcoin allows people to convert their time and energy and resources into an economic thing called Bitcoin. Isn't this just a fascinating parallel? And now, if you think back also how the children of Israel borrowed from the Egyptians prior to fleeing, this is also reflected in the, in the fact that how do you buy Bitcoin except with fiat money, with, except with debt? In other words, you borrow because all fiat money is borrowed. It's, it's, it's a liability. It's not an asset. All fiat money is borrowed. And so when you buy Bitcoin, you're actually borrowing from the systems of the world in order to invest in building the kingdom of God, ultimately the sanctuary of God. Wow. I mean, I think that's just amazing. And I think it's unavoidable to see how the circumstances of the present day are so clearly parallel to this amazing story in the Bible of how God delivered the children of Israel from slavery in a way that they could never have done on their own. Today, that's what we're seeing with Bitcoin. But there's another topic uh, pointed out in the article that really caught my attention. And, uh, and this is really what I want to focus on now. And that's that 
and this goes back to Nebuchadnezzar's image that he set up, there were two images. The first was in chapter 2, and that's what we studied in the last episode. But the second image comes in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. And this is where it says in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, of gold now, mind you, whose height was three score cubits, that's 60 cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. So there you have 66. Kind of a interesting number in relation to the number of the beast in the book of Revelation, which is 666. So this is like a precursor to that. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So right off the bat, this comes in the chapter right after we have just read about the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation of it. So this is very interesting that King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, apparently upon reflecting on what God had showed him in the dream, um, he wasn't too happy with the indication uh, of the fact that his kingdom would succumb to inferior kingdoms, and he wanted to prevent that. He wanted his kingdom to endure forever. This is actually reflected as well in the events that have happened recently, as in this year, 2023, on the world stage, okay? And what I'm speaking about is the coronation of King Charles III. His coronation ceremony was fascinating. I saw the live stream, and it was, well, it was interesting and eye-opening, I thought. The overall impression that I got was, first of all, it was definitely a worship service. And that, well, I mean, that really correlates to the event that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. It was a worship event where they were worshiping this golden image. Uh, in the ceremony of King Charles, uh, just to emphasize the point that it was a worship service, uh, not only did they include a lot of religious symbolism, religious expressions, um, quotes, uh, readings from the Bible, uh, prayers, um, all these sorts of things, they even had a communion service as part of the ceremony. And that is one of the most sacred things about the Christian religion is uh, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, uh, the commemoration of the last supper that Jesus held with his disciples before his crucifixion the next day. So to do that in a public ceremony on live stream around the world was, you can't get a more worshipful worship service than that, if you know what I mean. But the problem with this worship service was that it was entirely blasphemic, just like Nebuchadnezzar's call to worship the golden image that he set up. There was so much about this service that uh, a person could delve into. And I'm going to refer you to uh, written articles that cover some of the important aspects there including details about the oil with which he was anointed. But in reference to the article 
Thy Kingdom Come, which discusses some of these things, and especially pertinent to the story of Daniel, is the fact that he was dressed in golden robes from head to toe as part of this anointing ceremony. And the article, uh, Thy Kingdom Come, brings out the fact that this attire of full gold from head to toe corresponds to the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, where the entire image from head to toe was gold in contrast, in defiance of God and the plan that he had already laid out in the dream that he had given Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if we just look at the results at today's point in time, we can see which image was actually the, tr the true forecast of the future. Obviously, world kingdoms did weaken and uh, lose their value over time, as described in the dream that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. And the image of all gold did not last. The Babylonian Empire did not last to the present day. So, God's word is sure, and no matter uh, if man rebels against God, his plans will come to nothing. And yet, today, we see King Charles again sort of reasserting this plan of Nebuchadnezzar, reasserting the desire to have a kingdom that will last forever. So what exactly is it that King Charles stands for, and why is it that he would fall into this role of Nebuchadnezzar with the golden image. Well, the thing is, King Charles has been the head of the commonwealth for, uh, well, for a long time. And as such, he has a lot of influence in the money of not just the United Kingdom, but all the many nations around the world that are in some way connected uh, to the United Kingdom. The parallels are striking. Uh, notice that in, in verse 2, it speaks of, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, what we had earlier this year was a dedication, an anointing, that's comparable to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And notice that to this event were invited all of the leaders and influential and instrumental people in the kingdom. And isn't that exactly who was invited to the coronation of King Charles? And then uh, the Bible goes on and describes how when the music would play, then the people should bow down and worship this image. And that has deep ramifications, especially when you understand what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to say with his image of gold. He was establishing or uh, making it known that his money, the money of the kingdom of Babylon, which was gold, would be the money for the kingdom forever, as he hoped and that everyone must worship, must recognize that, bow down and accept gold as the money of the kingdom on pain of death. 
Otherwise, they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, this brings us finally to the incredible topic of the image of the beast in the book of Revelation. In chapter 13, really interesting. Uh, well, let's just say, let's just start in at verse 14 of, of Revelation 13. Okay, now there's a lot to unpack in this verse, and I want to make it really clear. In the dream given to Nebuchadnezzar, we had a series of kingdoms. This is explained in the book of Daniel. We had a series of kingdoms represented sort of in a financial way by these different metals of decreasing value. And the last of all was the kingdom of Rome symbolized by the iron. This is the, the, the Roman Empire. Now, later in the same book, in the, in the book of Daniel, so in chapter 7, God gave Daniel a vision of four beasts, much like the four stages of Nebuchadnezzar's image. In verse 12, it says that these beasts had their dominion taken away. And verse 13, it says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So there you have this vision in Daniel 7, verses 1 to 14, explaining or sort of reiterating the vision, the, the dream given to Nebuchadnezzar, except instead of being given in financial terms, it's given in political terms, in the term in terms of animals, sort of political animals that describe the, the world empires, the same world empires that were shown to Nebuchadnezzar in the form of metals of decreasing value. And these political animals would all be destroyed and replaced by the kingdom of Jesus Christ that would endure forever. So there's a clear parallel between this vision and the dream given to Nebuchadnezzar where the stone cut out without hands grew into a kingdom, the kingdom of God, as explained by Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. So this is very clear. It's speaking about the same thing, but it's now putting it in the symbolism of political animals. Okay? And again, Daniel and Revelation should be studied together. So when we come back now to Revelation chapter 13... And the chapter begins with the introduction of a beast. It's actually picking up from where Daniel left off. It's picking up with the last beast. And if you compare the characteristics, you can know that for sure. I don't want to dig too much into that right now because that's a subject that many uh, Bible experts have already done an excellent job of. And I don't want to reiterate that here. But I just want to make it very, very clear that when we're speaking about animals or beasts in the book of Revelation, we're speaking about political animals, okay? So now back to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 14. 
It's talking about making an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now this is interesting. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, uh, this is interesting, first of all, because King Charles, well, he's a, a living person, you know. So, in a sense, by being decked in gold from head to toe, sort of as the image of Nebuchadnezzar, life was given to the image. In other words, the image was sort of personified in King Charles. Perhaps that's one way to look at giving life to the image. But more interestingly, he had power to cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And this, of course, alludes to the story of Nebuchadnezzar, when those who would not worship the golden image were sentenced to death in the fiery furnace. Wow. So, this begs the question, what is it about King Charles III that is so important, that affects the world so much, and that ultimately will result in death for those that don't go along with him and his agenda or whatever. What is that? What is his agenda that is so forceful and that is so uh, widespread that it affects the whole earth? Well, it goes on in verse 16, Revelation 13:16, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So here we have it put directly in the context of finances. It's about buying and selling, and you won't be able to buy and sell unless you meet these certain criteria. So what is the agenda of King Charles III that fulfills this Bible text? What is it about money that he's involved with? Well, the answer is pretty straightforward. He is the leader of the commonwealth, and as such, all of the commonwealth of all the nations, not just of the UK, but of all the nations around the world that are in any way connected to the commonwealth, um, the, the, all the former colonies of the British Empire. So that includes Canada, for example, you know, Australia, I mean, many other countries around the world, many of which have to this day their resources and wealth sort of siphoned into this commonwealth system through the abuses of the fiat currencies. In other words, you know, a lot of these nations have to borrow and, uh, you know, basically their money is controlled still by Western powers. So, first of all, that's just to say that King Charles is very much involved in the financial world, okay? He has a, a, a very prominent role there. 
Yes, but it goes much deeper than that. Now, this is where things take a particularly interesting turn, I think, in regards to digital money. I just came across an article. Uh, let me perhaps quote from this article about, um, it says, today, the, and this is, I think, today, really, today. It says, today, the um, that would be, as in today, Saturday, June 17th. Okay, it says today the BIS, uh, that's the Bank of International Settlements Innovation Hub, released the results of Project Rosalind, a central bank digital currency, CBDC, initiative with the Bank of England. It explored using application programming interfaces, APIs, to enable payment providers to integrate with the central bank ledger. The APIs worked with two different kinds of ledgers, both of which were blockchain-based. However, the focus of the experiments was the API rather than the core system. Now, this is where it really gets interesting. The test trialed 18 digital pound use cases, ranging from straightforward merchant payments to a prototype of parent and child wallets, various kinds of conditional payments, and programmability was supportive for payment providers, as well as offline payments. It also experimented with decentralized identity and verificable verificable credentials for privacy. So this test actually um, basically experimented with digital currency, including conditional payments and programmability. By the way, that was, uh, what was that? That was called, oh, that was ledgerinsights.com. Okay, and that's exactly... What is necessary? That ex that's exactly what the government needs in order to accomplish what it says in the book of Revelation. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So that is to say, with CBDCs, as the Bank of England has been testing, this is under King Charles III, with CBDCs, governments have the ability to implement exactly what it says in the book of Revelation. And I want to bring your attention particularly to the fact that digital identities are involved in this. Obviously, to be able to uh, program the money, if you want to, dis uh, you know, uh, limit, if you want to control how the money can be spent in certain, you know, or on what uses and things like that on a per person basis, then you have to have digital identities. Okay. One is necessary for the other. And so it makes sense then why, uh, you know, the Bible says that they had to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, again, I just want to say I'm just exploring ideas here, and I'm not trying to redefine what uh, has already been understood about these verses, okay? Um, there are many ways that these verses have been fulfilled or have been in the process of fulfillment um, over the years, and many things can be uh, connected to these verses that still, in fact, do apply. And so 
speaking of this literally in terms of CBDCs and their capabilities is perhaps just a more literal and direct application of these verses, but it still incorporates all that uh, Bible scholars through the generations, including in the present day, have already understood about these verses. Okay, I'm not trying to devalue any other interpretation or to suggest that this is the only way to understand these verses. Okay, but I think, and this is where I ask your opinion, doesn't it seem extremely clear that CBDCs are how this verse can be literally fulfilled. And that's happening, as we see, under the watch of King Charles III, the guy who was clothed from head to toe in gold and, you know, in a worship, dedication, anointing ceremony, uh, just like the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. I think that's just amazing. Wow. And this speaks so clearly to the potential, not the potential, yeah, okay. This is an important point. Let me pause here. There's an excellent video by The Coin Brew that discusses a recent report that came out regarding central bank digital currencies. And I highly recommend that video. And towards the very end of it, he makes what I think is the most important point of the whole video. And that is that he he says that CBDCs will be introduced in a harmless way. They'll be introduced right alongside the existing um, banking uh, systems. And they will have only advantages to start with. From the user's point of view, there won't be any restrictions. There won't be any uh, difficulty in using it. It'll just make life easier. It'll make things smoother, faster, better. And that's how it will be introduced. But what people need to understand is that although it will seem like a good and positive benefit in comparison to the existing financial system today, it includes the capability that when times necessitate it, they will easily be able to flip the switch and say, okay, uh, you know, we're in a terrible economic crisis. From now on, uh, you can all, you know, you, you have to spend X, Y, Z, um, you know, every month, or, you know, you can only spend on these items and not those items, or, you know, we're going to cut funding for everyone who does not agree with XYZ uh, ideology, or, we're, you know, anyone who does not comply with XYZ regulations will be restricted from, you know, and you can imagine the horror possibilities, okay? Um, so, but the point that I want to emphasize here that uh, that was made in that Quinn Brew video is, I think, just essential to understand. And that's the fact that it will be surely introduced in a very nice and harmless and good way uh, as a benefit to everybody. You know, the banking system has become so difficult in these days. Uh, the amount of KYC uh, and AML regulations and um, sort of uh, hurdles that a person has to jump through, it. an ordinary law-abiding citizen has to jump through just to, you know, the hoops they have to jump through just to, you know, do anything in, in, uh, with the financial system, uh, whether it be uh, because of limits, whether it be because of, 
you know, access to accounts, access to financial products, you know, whatever the case may be. It's just, it has become so difficult for the average person that a CBDC is going to be welcomed. And the government is happy to provide that because they know that in the end, they it ultimately gives them more control, even if they don't exercise that control from the very beginning. They're happy to sort of, you know, give you the, the bait, the easy money, so that later they can then exercise full control and the average person won't even know what hit them. This is total slavery coming, total control. And praise God that he has made a way out of it. And that way is Bitcoin. And therefore, it's so appropriate, I think, to see Bitcoin and CBDCs in the light of these stories of the Bible, of the story of Nebuchadnezzar, how God showed his plan and how he showed that a currency would come, one that's mined without hands, a stone would come and fill the earth, and how Bitcoin fills that role, and how that's associated with the coming of his kingdom, and that the old forms of money that are decreasing in value are going to be destroyed. And that includes CBDCs, because CBDCs are based on the old system of debt, of inflation, of money that is not sound, that the money that you hold in your pocket is not yours. It's simply a loan from the bank. It's simply a permission from the bank to buy what they say you can buy. And we covered extensively in the previous video how the system of Babylon is a centralized system and how God fought against that all the way back at the time of the Tower of Babel, that, that as they wanted to centralize and, and build up to heaven, God said no. He said he decentralized the people. He, he distributed them. He scattered them as a way to stop the centralization of power at that time. And again, he has provided a system called Bitcoin today that allows money to be decentralized. And it allows people, individuals, you and me, everywhere around the world to opt in to that system, to the system of his kingdom, and opt out of the system of centralized money uh, that is even in the very name of the CBDCs, centralized. Yeah, and you could say they're centralized dictatorship binding currencies instead of you know central bank digital currencies, whatever. But the point is the same. It is a system of abject slavery. And there's only one way to stop it. And that's the way that God has ordained. And that is through decentralization. And that's with Bitcoin. And I stumbled across an article, uh, you know, shout out to my friends in Telegram who reposted this, an article by Alexander Svetsky, which basically says that it's not about the masses and about mass adoption of Bitcoin, but what's important is that the remnant, well, as he puts it, 
Bitcoiners are the remnant. They are the small group that makes a difference, not the masses. The masses go with whatever is popular. They ultimately save the world from the ignorance of the masses because they have the foresight and the fortitude to recognize what is truly the better way and to follow that with tenacity until the masses finally catch on. And I want to offer to you another article uh, just in this past week. An article came out called God's Battle Plan. And uh, this is, by the way, available in English, Spanish, and German. And if Svetsky's article was uh, could be ex- uh, summarized in the words, Bitcoiners are the remnant, then this article could be summarized in the word, the remnant are Bitcoiners. Okay? And it's especially aimed at Christians to explain to them how God intends for them to use their tithes at this particular point in history to fulfill his command in the book of Revelation to reward Babylon double. Now, this comes from chapter 18, uh, which is the, the very chapter that speaks heavily about the fall of Babylon, which represents the present day fall of the fiat economy. And so I encourage you to read that article, God's Battle Plan, and take that to heart. It really speaks my heart in terms of what I want to convey with this podcast. Um, And that is that Christians, those who fear God, need Bitcoin because Bitcoin is aligned with all of their values and ideals and goals. And it is the means, I believe. I believe it is the means through which God has called Christians to fight the last battle that is spoken of in the book of Revelation. In that article, he basically calls uh, Christians to set aside a tenth of their income, a tithe, uh, and to put that into Bitcoin. And this is something that I've heard Bitcoiners say as well, that for them, buying Bitcoin is a bit like paying tithe. And I think that's so appropriate because Bitcoin, if it is God's money, as the Bible seems to indicate, if Bitcoin is God's solution to the monetary problem today, then setting aside a portion of your income to Bitcoin is just like paying tithe. And if you really think that Bitcoin will, you know, someday go up in value and such things, then that tithe could actually very much turn out to be quite a literal and practical support for uh, those who do God's will. And I think that plan is just really amazing because it shows, you know, a lot of, um, well, if you look at mega churches and, uh, you know, some of the most famous pastors in the world, you know, yeah, a lot of them are, you know, basically money-making machines, you know, the prosperity preachers that, you know, they encourage you to send your money to them uh, so that in the end they are the prosperous ones and not you. Uh, But this is kind of not the same way. By investing in Bitcoin, you are actually investing in the kingdom of God. So um, I think that's really a a beautiful connection and uh, one that, again, that Bitcoiners and Christians 
have in common, I encourage you to read that article. It also, by the way, delves into uh, one of the most interesting chapters, one of the most fascinating and, uh, well, challenging chapters of Revelation to understand, uh, and that's uh, chapter 11, which I don't want to spoil the article for you, but I think this is just really exciting. I found this to be uh, a really uh, wonderful point in the article, um, and that's where it, it uh, speaks about Revelation chapter 11, verse 13, which says the following, And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. <laughs> now, there's so much in this verse that just speaks to uh, this episode and some of the topics I've mentioned here. Okay, first of all, and the tenth part of the city fell. Okay, a tenth is a tithe. Now, if Christians, if, if everyone starts paying a tithe into Bitcoin, in other words, taking a tenth of their income and using it to buy Bitcoin, um, to invest in Bitcoin, then that's, if the city is the city of Babylon, which represents the fiat financial system, then that would mean that a tenth of that system, a tenth of the city, has suddenly fallen to Bitcoin. See what I mean? So that's just an amazing fit. And uh, that was brought out in, in this article. And it says that in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000. 7,000 was mentioned also in the context of Elijah in the uh, article by Svetsky. Okay? Um, or at least if it wasn't in that article, it was in the article that he drew from. And, and then it, of course, speaks of the remnant being affrighted and giving glory to the God of heaven. Svetsky speaks of Bitcoiners being the remnant. And this new article this week, entitled God's Battle Plan, speaks of the remnant uh, being Bitcoiners. And I believe that is giving glory to the God of heaven. So there's a lot of exciting things in that article, and I encourage you to check that out. There are two sides to the battle. On God's side is Bitcoin. On the side of liberty from bondage, freedom from Egypt, from Babylon, a return of Israel to the promised land, so to speak. That is what Bitcoin stands for. And on the other side is the centralized central bank digital currencies, centralized bondage dictatorship currencies that represent bondage. And at first, it won't seem so. At first, there will be no bounds. But it's a system that enables bondage. It'll be even worse than the inflation and the money printing and all the rest of it that is already happening with the fiat system. What we're talking about with central bank digital currencies is abject slavery. And the only way out, the only way out, is through the king of decentralized currency, and that's Bitcoin. You can participate in it more or less anonymously without a digital identification that uh, reveals you know, everything about who you are. You can just transact more or less like cash you know, with whoever you want, as it should be, but with perfect truth, perfect justice, 
without double spending, without printing, money printing, which is double spending, uh, with, without uh, fractional reserve, which is double spending. Bitcoin solves these things by solving the, the double spend problem, and it ensures that justice reigns in the financial system of Bitcoin. That should be what every Christian loves and desires. And so, again, read God's battle plan. And I encourage you to take your next step in Bitcoin adoption. And we're just getting started in this podcast. I have so many topics that I want to bring to you, especially to Christians. And I think Bitcoiners will find them fascinating as well, I think. Okay. And I hope that uh, some Bitcoiners are encouraged to uh, see the Bible in a new light and to see how prophetic the Bitcoin movement really is and that it is the work of God and not just of man and that many can give glory to the God of heaven. And when times get tough, when the masses go with CBDCs and the only ones who are staying with Bitcoin are the remnant, it's only going to be those who really have the strength of character, who, who really who are able to stand like the three friends of Daniel through the fiery furnace. And how were they able to stand without being burned? It was because there was a fourth man with them. It was one like the Son of Man. It was Jesus Christ in a certain form. This was before the birth of Jesus, of course, but in a certain form, in a spiritual form. He was there with them, and he protected them through the fiery furnace. That's what Bitcoin can do. It can help you survive through the fiat flames so that you are not hurt in the process. And that is only the work of God. But it takes courage to even get to that point. How many of all the leaders of Babylon bowed down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, everyone except those three men. So don't be surprised at how many leaders turn to CBDCs. Don't be surprised at how many, uh, you know, give in so easily to convenient money. Don't be surprised at how many say, mm, well, you know, CBDs aren't so bad. And oh, they, don't let, they let me do everything. They don't control, you know, how much I spend or anything, you know. Well, yeah, how many will fall for the bait? But the remnant who understand what's at stake and who understand the principles behind the different systems of money will be able to make the right decision and be able to stand firm in that decision in the power of God. In the previous episode, we talked about many of the sort of agenda items that the world uh, wants to impose upon the people. And these are all things that will ultimately work their way into the CBDCs. And this means that those who use CBDCs will ultimately find themselves in a situation where in order to receive money, in order to continue to be able to spend money, in order to be able to buy and sell, they will have to comply with the certain specific requirements that the sort of world governance requires of them. 
And that's what Revelation speaks about, about having to have the mark, image, or number of the beast. So check out the previous episode as well if you haven't heard it already, because a lot of important topics were covered there. I think maybe at this point it would be good also to talk just a little bit about altcoins. The thing about altcoins is that even the so-called decentralized ones are actually pretty centralized because um, ultimately to have decentralization, you have to have the so-called network effects. And none of the altcoins have anywhere near the network effects of Bitcoin. And that's for good reason. And that's just simply because Bitcoin is pretty much superior. It was the first and it's the best. And that's pretty much not going to change. It's got the market share and it will retain the market share. And you can see how the government is, uh, you know, especially the U.S. government, is basically, you know, making it impossible for all the altcoins to survive. And uh, probably they want to also bring down Bitcoin uh, so that uh, there won't be any competition to their central bank digital currencies, but, you know, or the FedNow system. But, uh, you know, Bitcoin is going to be the hardest nut to crack for them. Ultimately, it's going to be the only survivor. And as we uh, progress in uh, future episodes, you're going to see more and more how Bitcoin specifically, not any other uh, altcoin, is actually, well, specified in the Bible. Okay, and I'll just let that be a teaser until we come to some really, really fascinating topics, I think, uh, and some fascinating details. Stay tuned. And uh, man, I'm looking forward to getting into some future topics. Uh, It's a little bit hard sometimes to uh, go slow enough to really cover each subject in sufficient depth here. Um, But I hope that it's interesting enough as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And um, this past week, I got on Noster. So feel free to find me there. And uh, that's where I'll be posting uh, links to articles and such things. So really do find uh, Bitcoin sermons and follow me there. So let me ask you, What are your thoughts on this topic? Are you starting to see that Bitcoin does have more than just an allegorical comparison to the Bible, but that Bitcoin actually fills a definite role in this particular point in history as the Bible foretold it? Let people know what you think in the comments.